Hey, let me encourage you to remember Jesus more often than how occasionally or infrequently we do communion together as a church. In the middle of the chaos that is our lives right now, in the middle of the tragedy that is many of your lives, in the middle of the, the minutia that we can't escape, there's maybe nothing more powerful for the Christian life than the ability to remember the simplicity and the profundity of Jesus. He died for you and me. Uh, he died for all of humanity so that we might not suffer in an eternal um, future uh, apart from God. I don't know. Remembering, just the ability to remember may be one of the most amazing gifts of humanity. Um, find myself now in a space that I've never been in my life where I have to remember my father, my own father, because he's, he's no longer with us. Uh, many of you are, are aware that we got a call last Monday night that my father had had a stroke and uh, was fading fast, and so we hurried our way down there, and as a result of that, I've been gone for about a week, which feels like, like many months. Like when I left, it was summer, and when I came back, it was fall. <laughs> It was like 50 degrees when we got back. Um, but uh, I wanted to just uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart. My mother wants to thank you, my whole family. Uh, your prayers uh, through the last week. Had, you know, he, he had a stroke Monday and, and was able to uh, do life support, uh, survive until early Thursday morning. We, he wasn't with us at all. He was, as far as we could tell, no, no brain activity at all. But... Um, we, notwithstanding the loss itself, it was a good week. We sensed the presence of God, your prayers supported. Um, they were able to bend the rules and allow all three of us, my sister, myself, and my mom to be present in the final hours of, of his breathing anyway. And we worshiped and prayed and remembered and um, we're just grateful for his life. Um, my, my, my pop, his, his legacy, his life compels us to go forward uh, in a manner uh, that is similar. He, did, he didn't let the past dictate the future. He worked hard to, in order to bless others. He lived a simple but grateful life. He deflected credit to God, and he accepted what was and looked forward to what might be. Um, we're going to try to carry on in similar fashion. He won't be cheering us uh, directly anymore, but certainly in our hearts. And if you're wondering about my mom, which I know many of you are, she sends her love and wants to assure you that she's going to be fine. Uh, I am too. I I am I am fine. We are fine. I've 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 got my effervescent, ever loving wife Tammy. I've got my rock solid boys, my wonderful, uh, uh, their wonderful girls, friends like many of you, um, and a father who did more than enough way more than enough, a hundred times more than what many get to experience at all from a father. Um, and we're certainly sad that he's gone, but we have more to be grateful for than anything else. So thank you. We are blessed. Um, and it's good to remember. It's good to be able to remember. Another thing I want you to remember is uh, we're in the middle of this rechurch initiative. Uh, we are 
taking a look at who we are, what we are, how we are, and asking God, do you want us to make any changes? Do you want us to make any shifts? Do you, do you want us to tweak anything? Are you good with uh, where we're at and what we're doing? We're just spending a year earnestly uh, looking at, at, at ourselves. The, the pandemic forced us there, but we shouldn't have to be forced there. Part of the Christian life is a life of repentance. I think it's pretty Pretty cool how the Spirit of God is moving in churches around the globe to be thinking about the whole idea of repentance. Well, we decided to call it rechurch rather than repentance, but it's really the same thing. We want to look and, in the spirit of David, and analyze ourselves. You know, this is what David said: "Create in me a clean heart, God. Renew in me a, a right spirit." Right? And this is, a, this is a man who was described by God who's having a heart for God. And even he looked at his own life and said, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. And see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That's all we're doing. We're spending a year. Don't let it frighten you. We're not going to lose our core values, our statements of faith, our basic personality as a church. We, we want to take a look at how the world is changing and in some ways gone upside down and make sure that we have methods and, and ways and um, to, to love one another well in the midst of changes and to reach those that are far from God. Every time the world changes, that whole technique has to change and get better. And, and we just want to get better. So uh, I hope you come along uh, for the ride. Um, and so here we are, remembering again what our core values are. This is what we want to. This is what we want to talk about now. This is what we're talking about for for a few weeks. Who are we at at our core? And we we get those values. We get that core identity from Jesus Himself. When He was asked, "What are the most important commandments?" This is how He responded. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he went on and said the second is like it. The second greatest commandment is like the first greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus is borrowing from the Old Testament as he was apt to do and is essentially saying a good and right life flows from loving God and loving others well. That's, that's, that's the sum total of it for Jesus. He says, you love God and you love others and you will be living out and holding to really all of the commandments. What I want to focus on today, what we're going to focus on today is our second core value, the second great commandment that Jesus pointed us toward, which is loving others. That's our relational value. If our first is worshipful, which we covered last week, our, our orientation under God, our, our posture before God, our centralization, our prioritization of our Heavenly Father. The second one is the priority of others and how we love them. And I want to focus even more intently on the fact that Jesus said, it's like the first. I don't know if that would be something that we would naturally conclude, that, that loving others is like loving God. 
where, but when you have that construct and you look through scripture, you see quite often loving others comes along with loving God. Listen to how the, the, the Apostle John wrote about it late in his life. After, after learning a lot about following, you know, decades of following Jesus and following his commands and loving others. He captured it this way. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves those born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commands. Loving God, loving others, are mutually inclusive. They are inextricably linked. John says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. You know that all of the commandments are interpersonal directives. When God offered his commandments to his people and offers them to us today. They are a construct, they are a, 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 a set of directives that are designed to help us interact with others with a heart like God's heart for us. He says, look, this is what it's all about. I, I am love. I, I love you and I want you to love others. And this is what it looks like to love others the way I love you. So the love of God is reflected directly when we keep his commands. It's, it's fair. It's right. It's, 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 it's good to summarize all the commandments of God as directives in loving others. In fact, they're an, they're an outflow of the loving heart of God in and through those who love him. So it makes sense to, to hold this position. You cannot say you love God while demonstrating a lack of love for other people. It, it does not hold water from a biblical point of view. You, in fact, you, could, you can see how Someone loves God and themselves, right? Love others as you love yourself. You can see how well someone loves God and loves themselves by how they love others. You think about this. Look at the people in your life. Look at your own life and how you treat other people. And in every case, you will discover the same lack of love for the person themselves, yourself, and for God. The way we treat others, the way we love others, is, a, is love others, is a direct is directly correlated to how we love God and love others. Loving others as an expression of commitment and love toward God wasn't new with Jesus. Like I said, he he was quoting from the Old Testament, even where he answered that question. He was quoting really multiple places in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, even Leviticus, which I'm going to reference in a second. Press this whole idea. God has always been about the idea of his love for his people working its way out in love for others according to the commandments. Listen to this. I'm going to read, I'm going to read from Leviticus. Do you even know where that is? It's, it's way back in the beginning of your book. And I dare you to try to read the whole thing. Just 
just go for it. It's, it's full of wonderful stuff, but it is hard to read. I'm looking at Leviticus 19, and it's going to be familiar to you. Starts like this. It, um, Leviticus 19, he says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. I don't know what you think about the word holy. And as a Christian, being referred to as holy, we tend to think of it in moral, ethical terms, but stand by on that. The rest of the chapter instructs the Israelites how to be holy. The list of laws that come after always have to do with relationships, honoring your parents, loving the aliens who live, foreigners among you. To be holy has to do always with treating other people rightly, according to God's ways, uh, justice in, in, in a just way, if you will, and mercifully. It talks about caring for the poor. It talks about being honest, having respect for your elders. This is all in the book of Leviticus. In general, acting, like I said, in moral, ethical integrity. And in the midst of all of that, in chapter 19, we find this phrase that Jesus uh, grabbed and answered the Pharisees with, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's part of a double, like a, a two-part verse. It says to the Israelites not to hate one another and not to take revenge on one another or to bear a grudge with one another, but to love one another. And the whole thing ends with this refrain with respect to the holiness code of God. I am the Lord. This is the way it is. I am the Lord. I am holy. If you love me and I love you and you're adopted by me and you're part of my family, you are holy by association. The whole point of Leviticus chapter seems to be something along these lines. Because the Lord is holy and because human beings are made in the image of God, those who are called to emulate God's holiness are to do so by acting with mercy and love toward their fellow human beings. Peter calls back on the words of Jesus and the Old Testament, the Torah, when he says these things in the second chapter of the first letter we have on record from him. He says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. This is an interesting terminology, right? That we used to, back in the day, the, the, the Israelites, they, they literally had temples built of stone, buildings, like, like we do today. And within those buildings were priests. And Peter's saying, it's no longer about the physical building. This is a spiritual issue. And instead of dead stones, we are like living stones. We're being built into a spiritual house, and we are becoming a holy priesthood. Listen to what he says. You are chosen people, chosen. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Who? He's referring to anybody who's put their faith in Jesus, not just the Jews, not just the people of that region, not just the people that have a heritage into that space. He's saying, look, this, this royal priesthood, this holy nation includes all of those who call Jesus their king by faith. Why am I talking about this in the midst of a core value 
we call relational, which is this loving of others. Here's what. Here's what I'd like to say today. Here's what I'd like you to hear above all else. How you love others has less to do with what you do, but everything to do with knowing and embracing and living out of who you are. I don't know if you've thought of that, about that, but I, I need that to sink in. When you're compelled by Jesus, when you are compelled by God, when you're compelled by me, when you're compelled by your peers, by the church, to love others, it starts with who you are, not what it is you ought to do. It's going to end with you doing something. But if you have forgotten, if you don't remember who you are, the way love works itself out will be mediocre at best. It won't be eternal. It'll be very temporal. It'll be mundane. It'll be just like the love, the best possible love of anybody else in the world. But if you remember that you are holy, if you know deep within your soul that you're part of a royal priesthood, if you remember that you are chosen, your love takes on an entirely different type of force. You're holy. God is saying you're holy when you're his. Jesus is saying you're holy when you've trusted him. Peter's saying, as a church, we are holy. And Peter's going further and saying, and you are part of a royal priesthood. This is what we want to talk about today and next week. What does it mean to be holy to be a priest, and how does that look when it's lived out? Well, it should look like love. But what does it mean to be holy and to be a priest? I think I mentioned this just, just a few minutes ago. But we tend to equate holiness with morality or ethics or uprightness, particularly when it's attached to a morally uh, defined commands. But holiness in the Bible is radically different than that. Holiness, uh, sacredness, doesn't have anything to do with human action. We aren't holy out of anything that we do. That's what we think. When, when, when we hear the phrase, be holy, we think, oh, well, I got to clean up my act and I got to keep my act up here. And, and, and we should. <laughs> but that is not what makes us holy. Being holy or not being holy has, uh, well, being holy has nothing to do with you or me or my actions or my inactions, my successes or my failures, my ability to obey or disobey. Holiness is a result of God's action exclusively. God alone makes people, places, particular things, even periods of time sacred or holy. Only God does that. God takes what is common and makes it 
uncommon, makes it special. And when he does that, it makes that place, period, person, thing, holy. He took one of the ordinary days of the week, called it out, called it holy, called it Sabbath, and said, keep this holy. Right? I've made this holy. You don't make it holy. I made it holy. You keep it holy. If you look at Mary's song, the mother of Jesus, when she is uh, made pregnant by the Spirit of God, she says in her own words, I wasn't chosen because I was special. Mary very clearly understands that she was special because she was chosen. God alone makes things sacred, makes things holy, takes what is common and makes it uncommon. Listen to how Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 2. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. Here's what that means is we have no capacity. We have the capacity of a dead person to do anything about our sinful, wrongful nature. We have no capacity. You can't say to a dead person, be alive. Only God makes us alive through Christ. We have nothing to do. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. you get the picture? You and I are holy because he is holy and because he's made us holy and he's chosen to have us be a part of his family and by his choosing and by his making and by his grace. By no act of your own will, body, or mind, but only in Christ are you gifted a sacred life. Only in Christ are you made holy. And only out of that space of who you are in Christ can you love as Christ loved you. We're going to talk in greater detail next week about how this this identity works itself out like a like a priest like the metaphor of a priest. This week, I want to simply challenge you with this. I want to, and I'm speaking to you, Christian, you, you that are set apart, you're sacred, holy, made holy. I want to challenge you with this. Watch. Watch for how you love in order to gain something. This is, the, this is the key space of understanding if you're loving out of who you are or loving out of your own space is if you're gaining something. And here's the sad truth. Apart from Christ, all of our love is to gain something. Now, first of all, you got to watch. Sometimes we're trying to gain something from God with our love. But remember, it is not what we do that gains us our place of holiness, our set-apartness, 
our divine approval, our eternal security. It is what Jesus did. So when you are loving, when you are obeying God, when you're trying to follow all the commandments, do everything that you understand to do, and you are trying to gain God's approval, you have lost the battle already. You're not working out of who you are because who you are has nothing else to gain from God. He's given you it all. Watch for when your love is trying to gain something from God. You will have lost who you already are in Christ. Watch for that. Watch for that. Secondly, watch for how your love is used, leveraged, to gain something from others. In an equal fashion, this shows you how you've lost track of, lost sight of, lost hold of who you are when you're trying to gain something. Remember, you've been given all that you need, whether you understand that fully yet or not. You have been given all you need. You don't need to gain anything, but we almost always love in order to gain. We gain so people will include us, so that they'll promote us, so that they'll like us, so that they'll give us their business or let us into their club or accept us. We love our enemies so that we can learn some secrets, so we can hurt them later. We love uh, our enemies so that they might think twice about hurting us later. You can see how our love is so messed up. Sometimes we actually withhold our love to get the love of other people. We'll withhold our love from a group of people that this group of people doesn't like so that that group of people will like me. <laughs> we love, we withhold our love from people because we think they're going to take something that we have or that they threaten something we have. We don't love certain people because they believe differently than we do or they are immoral. Think about that. It is not appropriate to Hold your love from someone who's immoral. If that was true, God would never love you. We are immoral. We are undeserving of love. So in those spaces of life, and just think about them, social media spaces, political spaces, presidential race spaces, race spaces, where we think people are wrong and we withhold our love is wrong. <laughs> The kind of love that God showed us is an unconditional love that is apart from, from what we've done or what we're doing or who, who we were or are. Watch for how your love is used to gain something from God or to gain something from other people. God is the one who makes you sacred in Christ, makes you holy in Christ. He's the one who leads people to repentance. He's the one that woos people back to him. Not us. We don't do that. We just obey. We just love people. We over-exaggerate the that what we think is the power to change a person's heart or to redirect their life. We really only have the power to remain in the love of Christ to be sacred and holy and set apart and to love unconditionally. Think about this. This silly little example. Let's say your next door neighbor does something that you deeply disagree with. You might even call it immoral. And one of the things that they do is they promote that way of life or that immorality by sending out flyers uh, to, to promulgate it 
out of their, through their mailbox every day, lots and lots of mailers, and that mailbox is broken down in some way or in need of repair or paint, and you have the ability to fix that mailbox, do you do it? We would tend to think no. We would tend to think we should chop down that mailbox so that they can't do what they're doing. To understand that God has the power to change that person and that we don't frees us up to live out of the space of a forgiven, undeservedly loved person and offer that same love to somebody else and know that in the midst of that space is where God likes to show up and do his part. Who you are in Christ frees you up to love anybody and everybody unconditionally because we trust that God is the one who gets hold of a person's life, makes it sacred, turns their heart back to him. Watch closely this week, friends, at how you love and why you love and let it remind you to get back to who you are in Christ set apart, eternally loved and approved in Christ and allow your activity, your obedience and your love to come out of that space. It matters more who you are than anything else when it comes to loving others the way Jesus loved us.